there might be a best way to achieve something. Like if your goal is to build a business, let's say, right? Even your goal is to get into shape. There might be a best workout. There might be a best way to market. A, the reality of it is, even if you discover the best thing, you won't even know that you discovered it. And then you move on to the next if you're always searching for the best. So even if you do happen upon it, you won't even know that you've happened upon it. Mm-hmm. So you're always going to move on. But let's say that there was a capital B best way to achieve something, your best body, your best business, whatever. There are also a ton of lowercase GE good enough ways to accomplish a more than good enough outcome. And what I think is really important and what I'm trying to champion is like, find your good enough. And your good enough means something that you can reliably execute on consistently for long enough for those actions to compound and begin to grow. Don't change. Don't start over. Don't quit. Right. Doesn't have to be the best. Just has to be good enough. And you got to do it for long enough for those actions to begin to beam some. Welcome to Cut the Crap with Beth and Matt, the world's number one no bullshit health and fitness podcast. Are you ready to cut the crap with your diet and exercise, get strong as fuck, and build a healthy relationship with food? Then you've come to the right place. Show your support for the podcast by joining our Patreon community, where you get exclusive content, which consists of monthly workouts you can do at home or at the gym, monthly challenges that are either strength, habit, or mindset-based, and access to hundreds of lower-calorie, higher-protein, family-friendly recipes. And now all Patreon members receive exclusive access to a private Facebook group. Now Now let's let's cut the crap. Hey there. Hello. What's happening? Hey, guys. So welcome, Mr. Jonathan Goodman, who's been in the fitness industry for over 15 years. He is the founder of the Personal Trainer Development Center, the Online Trainer Academy. He writes books. He's an industry leader and an online trainer educator. Did I get that all right? Yeah, sure. And Sounds the- right. Oh, <laughs> I play in a lot of different areas. That's the, 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 those are a few of them. Yeah. To be here. <laughs> Actually... In 2019, I saw you speak at Cressy's and I got one of your books back way back then. Oh, very cool. Yeah. yeah. That was a that was a super fun event. I mean, Eric and Eric and Pete and Tony have just been folks I've known for so many years in the industry and do such great work. And and they asked me to speak at that event. I was I they bring in one guest to their like seminar each time, right? It was fun. It was a new presentation that I kind of tested out. Yeah. And and I felt like I felt good doing it. And then the pandemic hit and I've never done it again. So I hope that you enjoyed it. <laughs> no, I did. And what's crazy is I became an on, I was an in-person trainer in the 2018, 2019, up until right. a little past 2020. But then I started becoming an online personal trainer in 2020 when the pandemic hit because the gym got shut down. As many as, as it happens, right? right? And, then, and then the market quickly became very saturated. <laughs> yes, yes. Didn't it didn't, right? I mean, I think I think the market for fitness or online fitness is saturated if you do the same thing as everybody else. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of markets online are saturated if you do the same thing as everybody else. I think that yep. there's more opportunity than ever if you learn how to stand the fuck out and actually do your own thing and play your own game and approach the way that you do your thing, your business with humanity, with personality in a way that's true to you mm-hmm. versus kind of a copycat type approach. You know, mm-hmm. like, I don't really care that you can point at words in space to trendy music. Right. Like, the, the, there's a lot of people that are trying to build a business by entertaining around that idea versus actually communicating around that idea. And what they're quickly realizing is that there's a difference between an entertainer and a coach. And neither is better or worse, but there's different time horizons, odds of success, rules of engagement, reward mechanisms for both of them. And if you try to, if you desire the rewards of one, while playing the game of the other, you're conflating the rules and it doesn't work very well. You kind of answered my question I had for you, we had for you then, which is, is how it? can- Are we done? <laughs> yeah, we're done. <laughs> Interview over. <laughs> so essentially then how can trainers stand out in an already competitive, you know, somewhat saturated, somewhat not saturated market? Yeah. I mean, look, there's this wonky misconception that just because you can get clients online, you have to generate all your business from people you've never met or have no previous connection to before. The reality of it is trying to sell to somebody online that you've never met, that you have no connection for, that's deciding between you and everybody else on the internet is playing the game of business on hard mode. 
Not to say it's impossible, not to say it shouldn't ever happen. It's fine when it happens, but it's way harder to generate business from Javier, who lives in the beachside barrio of Positos, sipping yerba mate in Uruguay, than it is to generate business from Jessica, who lives around the corner from you, that you can that you know somebody who knows somebody who knows her. And the reality of it is $200 is $200 is $200. Money counts the same regardless of where it comes from. Mm -hmm. Intelligent people often have this habit where they try to solve much more difficult problems than are necessary. My approach in business is very much to try to work backwards from the problem instead of forwards from the solution. There's this assumption that, oh, just because I can use social media, I have to use social media. Mm. And so you get all these questions of like, how do I create content? How do I build my Instagram account to get clients? It's like, it's just back up for a second. That's one potential way to accomplish your desired output, desired end game, right? Of generating customers for your training business, if that's what you're trying to do. But it's not the only way. But if you assume that that's the only way or that's the way you have to do it, all of a sudden you shut yourself off from potentially much straighter paths. And so I always start with the end. What type of business do you want to build? And there's, there's very few objectively right or wrong answers, but there are a lot of right or wrong answers for you. And so are you the type of person who wants to potentially try to scale something to be worth tens of millions of dollars at some point in the future? If so, the actions that you're going to take in building a really scalable enterprise and a platform is going to be very different than somebody who's just like, yeah, I want to make a hundred thousand or a few hundred thousand dollars a year and have a good life, with lots of flexibility. Most people should start at number two, wait till it's bursting at the seams, and then expand out. And what that means is that you want to follow what I call the whales and minnows approach, which is sell to a few customers, sell to a few clients who pay you a lot of money. And then that allows you to serve way more people if you want to. Mm. Because when you make a lot of money from a few customers, A, you can outserve them and you can provide remarkable support. I mean, people. People hire you to solve a problem, whether they pay you a lot of money or a little money. You are judged ultimately on whether their problem is solved or not solved in their own eyes. If you have a lot more money to play with, you have more time and excess capital and resources to be able to do a better job solving a problem, which makes business way easier because then you have all these successful people who shout off the rooftops about you. Right. So why don't we start there and then work backwards from, all right, who are these people and where are they already and what do they already do? How can I go there? In most cases, you know, you speak to fitness professionals and they're like, oh, I, I work with busy moms who have, you know, one kid who want to lose a little bit of weight and firm up, but whatever the language that you use, right? Yep. Okay. So your job then is to talk to these people. Don't create content into the abyss. Talk to them. And the easiest way to talk to them is to ask them for their advice. If you are trying to build a business and you want somebody to do business with you, if you ask them for business, they're going to give you advice. If you go to that same person and you ask them for advice, they're going to want to do business with you. Interesting. And so this is at the crux of what I teach people when they're starting, which I call permission marketing, which is, okay, get on the phone with 10 or 15 mums. It's not that hard to do. I'm sure that you know people who have had a baby, if we're following this example, like lawyers, yeah. real estate agents, whatever you do, right? Get on the phone with them and say, hey, look, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of doing this program that's going to help people achieve whatever this thing, but I really need to speak to some of these people to understand their lives a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Does anybody know anybody that fits these criteria? You know, mm -hmm. I'd love to talk to them. And then you get on the phone with that person for 20, 30 minutes and you legitimately ask them questions about themselves. You're learning about the audience. You're learning words they use. At the end of it, you say, 
you know, this is so helpful. Thank you so, so, so much. Look, it's going to take me a week or two. I'm speaking to a few other people. And then going to be putting together this program. Would it be okay if we jump on the phone again in like a week or two? And I kind of walk through this thing with you and I'd love to hear your feedback on it. Okay. They're going to say yes again, like 95% of the cases. So then you get on the phone with them and then literally telling them about the program that they told you how to build. So like basically then telling them about the perfect program for them. I built this for you. Well, you're not even saying I built this for you. Mm-hmm. At the end of it, you're saying, you know, I, I'm, I want to test drive this with 10 ladies, with whatever, 20 ladies, however many you want to test drive it. And the first group is going to have, you know, big discount. It's going to sell for 500 bucks. The first group, I'm going to take them in for $197 for whatever, six weeks it, it, to test drive it, work out some kinks, get people initial results, get some initial testimonials and, and case studies. Do you know anybody who might be interested? They're probably going to say me, Uh, but even if they don't, they might give you a name or two. That's the most straightforward process to start this thing. And then you start sharing stories about the people that you're actually working with using their names or not using their names. And there's your content. And then it just spirals from there, right? Uh That's great. (laughs) That's I like, I like the working backwards approach. The foundation essentially is is being built for itself when you do that. Yeah. I mean, look, I assume ignorance with anything that I do. I think that we're all pretty ignorant towards things that we do. And this isn't saying that we're stupid or you're stupid or I'm stupid or Beth, you're stupid or whatever. Ignorance is domain specific, right? Stupid is general. Mm-hmm. So I'm not calling anybody stupid, but but I assume ignorance towards anything that I do that's new. Mm-hmm. I don't assume that I know anything about anything until I've actually done the thing, usually multiple times. And so my only goal when I start, people ask me all the time, how do I start an online training program? What's the what's the best software to use? What's this? What's this? What's this? I'm like, get a client. Well, but like what program? Get a client. Step one is to get a client. Why? Because you bet your ass you'll figure the rest of this shit out once you have a client who's paying you. And you'll figure it out quick. Mm-hmm. You'll figure out what works. And you'll figure out what doesn't work. And then you'll course correct. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Are you a fan of the model of working with people for free when, when coaches are still or first starting out and to, to build up those referrals and, and things like that? Or do you think that diminishes the value of what they do? I don't think I don't think it diminishes the value. I'm not I'm not a fan. I'm not not a fan. I okay. just think you need to have like a reason for doing it. Got it. Most oftentimes when coaches do that, it's because they don't have enough confidence in themselves. And what they find, unfortunately, is when they don't charge money, the person doesn't do the thing and doesn't right. participate very well. And as a result, it's just a shitty experience for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I'm not opposed to it. I think that it can work. Mm-hmm. I think that there either needs to be a very carefully discussed reason of why you're doing this for free. Like I am doing this in exchange for you sharing this with your audience. If you like, like if you do it like a micro influencer, mm-hmm. for example, a friend of mine, Ben Mudge, he's in the UK and he built up a big audience of, you know, hundred thousand plus people, but he was still finding it hard to like convince people. Cause even if you have a hundred thousand followers online, you're still like a guy online, like telling people to sit down and stand up. Like the shit ain't complicated. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, What's going to make you different and what made the difference for him was when he let his geek flag fly because Ben is obsessed with this role-playing game with miniature statues called Warhammer. Uh, yep, Always, has been. Mm-hmm. Always has been, right? But he hid that because he it was just a part of him. He didn't really. Okay. And so when, when he started to do that, he's like, okay, well, like, what about role-playing? What about that if that's my thing? And then you work backwards. Okay, well... Uh, mini wargamer Dave is the biggest wargaming YouTuber. So Ben's always been a fan of his. He sent him an email and he said, Hey, I'm going to be in town. I'd love to stop by your studio. Dave said, sure, come by. Ben booked a flight <laughs> and he made sure that he was in town. Ben lives in Ireland. Dave lives in Canada and booked a flight and visited him. Well, Ben is now doing this like basically transformation of Dave as the Warhammer guy, sharing it on 
Dave's YouTube channel, which is like 400,000 plus people of Warhammer guys. Right? Wow. Uh, that's just one example of like where free could work. I'm more of a fan of one of two models. Do you want me to tell you what those are? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Please do. Mm-hmm. The first is just, is just charity. Like get them to pay you, but you're donating it to charity. So it's it's very rarely an actual money objection. Sometimes it is, but in almost every case, when somebody gives you a money objection, what they're voicing is some sort of unmet quiescent objection that you haven't actually tackled. Okay. Right? The minute that somebody says no to you, your only job is to figure out why they are actually saying no. Money is very rarely the reason why it is. They don't believe you. They don't trust you. They don't trust themselves, whatever that is. So you close that objection window, right? You say, you know, if, if, if money was no object, right? Like, like if you didn't have to pay anything, would you be ready to start this today? Well, now you're getting into the real reason. Okay. So I like, I like this idea of removing that in that, oh, it's, it's going to go to charity. For example, I'm putting on a big digital summit. I haven't announced it yet, but I'm putting on a big digital summit. There's going to be 30 speakers interdisciplinary. It's going to be amazing. And some of the top, like, like the editor in chief of Entrepreneur Magazine speaking, like the vice wow. chairman of the biggest advertising firm in the UK speaking, like, nice. like, like top, 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 top people. And, um, I'm paying a hundred percent of all expenses for the summit, but. 100% of all revenue, so not just profit, 100% of all revenue is going to support what's called the Tyler Robinson Foundation, which is a charity that provides financial support to families suffering from pediatric cancer. And it's in the name of the daughter of a good friend of mine. Oh, wow. The ease with which people want to be involved in that versus like a self-serving, like do this for me. Mm-hmm. But you have to have a story behind it. You can't just say it's going to charity. There has to be a reason for the charity. The second, though, we call it a guinea pig trial, which is not the best name. I don't know why we call it that. (laughs) I would never do that to like like as a client facing thing. But anyway, we call it a guinea pig trial. But the idea behind this is 21 days. No longer. You don't want to do any longer than that for something like this. But 21 days, because three weeks is enough to get somebody a very superficial initial result. And then you have mm-hmm. to communicate with them that, you know, <laughs> short-term results are very different than long-term results. Right. Mm-hmm. But but 21 days and it costs whatever, 200 bucks for 21 days. And at the end of it, if you complete X percentage of activities, you get all your money back. So basically, you pay me 200 bucks, but I'll give you $200 back at the end of the 21 days. And then two weeks in, you get on the phone with them, you do a checkpoint call, and you assess how far they've come, and you paint a vivid picture of the next six months, and you offer them a special deal to push the $200 forward to continue on after the challenge. Are you familiar with a concept called loss aversion? Loss aversion? Yeah. Somewhat. So in behavioral psychology, it's, it's losses loom larger than gains is the kind of sticky piece of it. But the the famous story behind that is that the researcher, this is the, they won the Nobel Prize for economics, but behavioral psych, right? Daniel Kahneman, Amos Tversky were the two researchers. And so what they did is they, they were at a college campus and they took a mug with like the college insignia, you know, like the, the crest. Mm-hmm. Thing. Yeah. And they, um, and they had two cases, right? One of them is they gave the mug to somebody And then they said, I'd like to buy that back from you. How much will you sell it to me for? The second case was, I have this mug. How much would you like to buy it for? And what they found was the difference was about $4. Once somebody owns something, they put way more value on that thing. And this is why things like Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace are so funny. Because people who own something think it's worth way more than it actually is. That's right. Sentimental value usually. (laughs) But what you're doing with these guinea pig trials is is you're understanding this aspect of loss aversion, right? It is very hard to get somebody to part with money, but once they've parted with money, it's actually way easier to get them to push it forward because that money's already gone in their mind. So to say, hey, just push it forward, you know, just push Mm -hmm. it forward to the next bit of training. 
so that that works really well. That works better than like a free, just just a blanket free thing. Yeah, amazing. So yeah, how long have you I, been online now? I started tapering down my in-person sessions in 2011. Okay. I stepped away fully in 2013. Okay. But I was like 15 hours a week. You know, I went from like 40 to 25 to 15. Right. By the time I was gone, I was already matching my clients with other trainers and they were, they were ready to take them on. So it's been a long time. And the only reason that I bring that up is like the world was different then. Yeah. The world was the same then as it is now in every meaningful way because humans don't change even if technology does. And so that's why you have to understand the humans and not the technology. But the, the world was different in that wasn't in your face the same way. Like nobody's mom and dad were proud to tell their friends that their kid was a digital nomad in 2012. Right. Okay. <laughs> like, so like the perception of it and the stigma so associated with it has, has, there's been like a paradigm shift. It's been a paradigm shift. It's also just easier, dude. Like, you know, when I started, I was emailing Word documents back and forth. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just... That's the way that things were done back then. When yep. I started an online business, there was no Dropbox. There was no Slack. There was no nothing. Right. We didn't use any of those things. So it was way harder. The barrier to entry was much greater. And there also wasn't, you know, everybody who has a thousand or 5,000 Instagram followers, you know, hadn't yet become a business coach. And so you weren't getting messaged all the time yeah, about these yeah. opportunities. They existed, but you mm -hmm. needed to kind of go search them out. You needed to go out and find them. So. Yeah, I mean, I would have stepped away, but it wasn't the only thing that I was looking at. Like, I didn't know I was optimistically ignorant. I just, I knew that I wanted, I knew that being on my feet all day training clients couldn't be the only thing I did. I didn't think that I would ever step away from it fully, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, I studied residential real estate investing for six months. I built business plans for smoothie operations. I mean, I was just, I was searching. Yeah, And I would go to after on the weekends or between clients and stuff like that, I'd go to the bookstore, I'd look at the best-selling marketing books, small business books, I'd write down the names, I'd walk across the street to the library and I'd check out those books or books by the same authors. And I would just read. If there's one thing we can all agree on, it's that life is hard. And with that comes a level of stress that can often be debilitating. Balancing your mental and physical health often seems like you need a PhD to achieve. And so often we are only able to focus on one or the other, which can lead to a less than enjoyable life. And that's why I loved Cure Nutrition Serenity Gummies. From coaching calls to leadership meetings with my team, to tapping into my creativity for new content, to closing business deals, and even interviewing guests for this podcast, the Serenity Gummies have proven to be a valuable part of my self-care routine. I take them daily to help manage my stress and anxiety, and doing this allows me to perform at my absolute best, which helps me serve others to my absolute best. Formulated with their trinity of ingredients, a blend of full-spectrum cannabinoids, functional mushrooms, and adaptogens, Serenity Gummies are your answer to finding calm in the chaos that we call life. Right now, Cured is extending an exclusive offer to you, our listeners. You can grab a bag of Serenity Gummies for 20% off by visiting www.curednutrition.com ctc and using coupon code CTC at checkout. That's C-U-R-E-D nutrition.com slash CTC and coupon code CTC at checkout to save 20%. So what are you waiting for? Pop a gummy and protect your peace and let's cut the crap together. And I would just try stuff. And I came across one day a book called Multiple Streams of Income by Robert G. Allen. I don't know how good or not good the book is. It doesn't matter. That book introduced me to the idea of infopreneuring selling new information online. Mm -hmm. And for whatever weird reason, that's what stuck. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why. Do you think it's important if someone's going to become an online personal trainer that they actually start in person? Usually. Yeah. Usually. In almost every case, yeah. It's just very hard. So I think a lot of people learn during COVID that were forced to train online. I think they, a lot, I think a lot of people learn just how hard it is. They're mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, I'll just work with people online. It's like, no, no, no. This is a completely different skill set. Yeah. Absolutely. You have to be such a good communicator because now your communication is what's called asynchronous, which basically is text message, email type communication. You know, you message. I have as long as I want to respond. 
versus what we're doing here, which is synchronous. You know, you talk, I respond, I talk, you respond. It's a right. completely different mode of communication. And, and this is why I say writing is the most important skill in the world to get good at. It's at the core of everything. If you can write, you can communicate. If you can write, you can speak well. If you can write, you can send good emails. If you can write, you can describe exercise as well. You can be better on video because a video was ultimately made by the script and the storyboarding of the thing. Like, I don't care what you do, writing is very important. Mm -hmm. But then even the training itself, when you're working with somebody in the gym, you can, uh, you can often take a pretty reactive approach. I mean, no human body is the same. Right. Right. We've all seen the studies of, hey, you know, radiologists have looked at 100 asymptomatic backs and recommended 80 of them for surgery. <laughs> you know, like like everybody, if you look at a scan of them, if you look at how their body's made up is jacked up in some way, it's just the body just takes punishment over the years. And that's why it's funny when you see people commenting on somebody else's video or their form on the Internet is you don't like you don't know jack shit. There's no standard those. form. Yeah, right, right. Like you don't know anything like they might have lordosis. Like you just have no clue. Right. They might have type of type of scoliosis. And that's why they're like that. You just you yeah. just don't know. But in person, you can react to that. And you can say, hey, does this hurt? Hey, how does this feel? Oh, that looks funky. Try it like this. It's that instant feedback loop. Yeah. It's an instant feedback loop. Online, you have to be much more anticipatory and lateral and proactive in your approach. And that comes from kind of an understanding over the years, doesn't it? Like, I can train usually a man, but a man, really a man or a woman who's kind of like a professional, like sits at a desk all the time. And I can be pretty confident that they're going to have some internal rotation. Like, I'm not really going to, like, maybe some impingement in their shoulder. Maybe not. Like, I don't know what the shape of their shoulder joint is, mm-hmm. right? I can't do those assessments in person. But I'm not probably not going to lock them into a bench press in an online program if I haven't had a chance to assess them in person. Whereas I might take that same person and I and I rotate them outwards into a neutral grip and do an incline dumbbell press. Similar goals, similar outcome, mm-hmm. right? Your sets and reps and, and mm-hmm. RPE and, and tempo and everything's going to be the same. But that to me is shows some understanding of like, I don't know whether this is a problem, but I'm going to sidestep it if it is. Yeah. It's very hard to know all of those things if you haven't just watched and worked with a lot of bodies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like you guys, you guys are the same. I mean, I could. I'm working out with a buddy of mine in the gym and I'm watching deadlift or I'm watching him do something. And I immediately can just be like, change your legs like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't even know why I'm thinking that. Yeah. I've just seen, I mean, I have my honors degree in kinesiology and years two to four, I worked at the university gym. So I was studying full-time kinesiology, biomechanics, physiology, and working in the gym for 25 hours from years 18 to 21, and then worked full-time in a gym for the next, what, six years. I saw a lot of bodies move, man. <laughs> in a lot of different right. ways. In a yes. lot of different ways. There was no one standard way that those bodies were moving, was yeah. there? Old bodies, young bodies, tall bodies, fat bodies, short bodies, black mm-hmm. bodies, white bodies. I mean, it's just, you just, you have to, you have to do that to really understand. And I'm not saying that it's the only way to do it, but I have not seen very many good online trainers that haven't worked for a very long time in person. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh, totally. I don't think I'd be an online personal trainer if I wasn't in the gym first. For sure. I don't I don't believe I would have the confidence, to be honest. Build your communication skills. You know, just there's so much that goes into it when you're in person working in front side by side yeah. with someone. It's also like, can we talk about this career a little bit? Yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm selling a book right now. And it's the first time that I'm conventionally, traditionally publishing. So this morning I had a few calls and then this afternoon I have a few more. I have one more today and a few more tomorrow with like some of the biggest publishing houses in the world, like the executive editors of these things. And one of the main things, cause this is a business book. It's not a book just for fitness people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Basically the only question, oh, like, yeah, we love, like basically if they ask for this call, they're interested in the book, right? So like, we love the proposal. We love the idea. Our marketing team's only concerned because they are asking, they're like, okay, cool. This is incredible. But like, why are we buying this from a personal trainer? Like, this is a business book, like the Harvard Business Review. 
right? Mm-hmm. It's like one of the mm-hmm. people that I'm talking to. Like, you know, they're buying books from academics and professors and whatever. Right? And one of the things that I told, I don't remember which one I told this to this morning, but I was just like, think about what makes, here's how I think about the fitness industry. I look at it like the city of New York. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Okay. Yeah. Think about what makes the best products or services in the world to sell. Okay. They work fast. They're painless and they're easy to do. Now think about fitness. It takes a long time. Yeah. It hurts like hell and it's (laughs) fucking hard. Right. I don't think that there is a product or service in the world that is harder to sell than fitness. If you can make it in the fitness industry, you can make it anywhere. A lot of people don't. And so from a business standpoint, that's fascinating. At the same time, I don't know a single job or career where some dumb shit 21-year-old who likes to lift stuff up and put it down Uh can have the most successful people in their city paying them tremendous amounts of money to spend time with them. I mean, my clients were leaders in construction was the associate dean of medicine at the university of toronto the chief of psychiatry at one of the major hospitals canada's top jazz singer olympians like i was 21 22 23 years old these people were paying me 90 plus dollars an hour to mentor me three hours a week at that age i don't i mean even if you want to ultimately be an online trainer, even if you're good enough at that age to be an online trainer. That is experience. I wouldn't be here talking to you guys right yeah. now if I didn't have that at a young age. I don't know a single other career where you get that breadth of experience and knowledge and wisdom yeah. handed to you on a silver platter at that age. And these people are in your corner, man. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. And it's up for the that that trainer to take advantage of that though, to know, right, to be asking those right questions and, and to form that relationship with with that client that, like you just said, was turned out to be a mentor that they're actually paying you to mentor you, you know? So taking uh, in their life experiences. hundred percent. hundred percent. You gotta you gotta figure out how to ask them the questions, but it kind of happens naturally also, especially if you're one-on-one. You know, it was this big movement in the gyms to go towards like whatever, four to six, like like yeah, little small small, groups. small groups, which absolutely you make more money, but you don't you don't get the same benefits on intangible benefits, I guess, from that. The relationship I mean, isn't quite there. You're one on one with people two, three hours a week. Hey, it's awkward, dude. <laughs> like, like you gotta become a good conversation. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, that hour with you or me or anyone else is the best hour of their week sometimes. That's what they sometimes. look forward to. Um, it's their them time. Yeah. You might be the person that they have spent more one-on-one engaged time with. You might be the most important person in that regard in their life, including their spouse Mm -hmm. that week, that month. So that's valuable. And also certain point in time, there's just not much to talk about. Like you're going to talk about what they do. You're going to ask them questions because really, I mean, fitness is not complicated. (laughs) <laughs> we like to complicate it though. We like we love to complicate it, but it's really intelligent tough. people certainly have a habit of overcomplicating things right. that don't need to be. But really, I mean, what is it? Like jump up and down, eat your veggies. If you suck at something, it's a good fat burning exercise. Once you get good at it, you become more efficient. It becomes worse for fat burning. Do something that you become inefficient in movement at, and it's a better fat burning exercise if that's your goal. It's not that complicated. Most clients. I'm not talking about clients that you want to put on stage or clients that sh- that want to perform or compete right. or whatever. But Just like, general public. The majority of clients are general public. And, and most clients, they'd get results that they were happy with, with a very wide variety of programming. Whether you periodize based off of Tudor Bumpa's Soviet, Soviet protocols. or <laughs> Some obscure. <laughs> whether you copy a work out from a men's health magazine and give that to your client. Like, can we be honest for a second? Mm-hmm. They ain't going to know the difference. Right. Totally. How you deliver it matters though. And 
yeah, how you deliver it matters and the the feedback loop that they get from from that, you know, the constant them giving us feedback, us giving us feedback on the feedback yep. they're giving us and just keeping it going. But that's a disconnect between how we're educated as trainers versus what really matters for the success of a trainer and a trainer's client, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We're educated to say, here's the best way to program. Here's the exercises, whatever. Whereas anybody who's worth their salt in this industry knows that stuff actually comes much later in the process mm-hmm. and really doesn't matter as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what matters is the psychology of yeah. the thing. Understanding. What matters understanding. is getting somebody to want to do the thing. Empathy. You know that. And it being a good listener. I don't care if you're not a good <laughs> listener. If you have poor communication skills, right, Beth? Like, Oh They're, yeah. Your clients aren't going to be getting results. They're not going to, they're not going to re up with you because you just can't communicate. And that's, that's a two way street too. Of course, like mm-hmm. we, we need good communication from our clients. And that's one thing that I make very clear when I'm on a coaching consultation with somebody's like communication here is a two way street. I'm going to need communication from you. I'm, and we're going to communicate with you. That's our promise, but you just need to communicate with us too. Everything else is figure outable essentially. Yeah. I think people underestimate just how hard listening is. It really There's is. A, it's a. It takes practice. I don't think that you can listen and do anything else at the same time. There was a negotiation expert. He wrote a book. I can't remember what it was called, but it was a book on negotiation. But he talks about hostage negotiations. He was a hostage negotiator. One of the things that he showed about how hostage negotiations work is the listening process that's always stuck with me. There's four people involved. There's the person who's actively speaking to the terrorist, to the criminal, whatever. And then there's three people listening. One is listening to the words. One is listening to the intonation. And one is listening to the body language. And they're all relating signals to the person speaking. The person speaking is not involved in listening in any way. And there are three people whose job it is to listen to very specific aspects, right? The words, the intonation, and the body signals. I'm not saying that this is what you should do, but it just, it shows you that if you truly want to listen to somebody, just how difficult it is and how much you really need to focus on that person to listen to them. People-centered coaching. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you, when you're, listening to the words, and then you see the body language, you kind of correlate the two. Like if someone's really sad, but they're not talking as if they're sad, you can kind of be like, well, I think, you know what I mean? That you can read, you're a little sad, but then I'm getting something else from this. So it's very important to notice all those things. And to notice the patterns of it. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Talking to Strangers that gets into the nitty gritty of this, of humans are just different from one another. It's a huge problem with our judicial system. It's a huge problem with our way that we interview to hire. It's a huge problem with how we audition performers. He tells a story of, I think it was the New York Symphony Orchestra, one of the major orchestras. And they had never had a female lead before for any instrument. And when asked why, they said, we have no problem having a female lead. We just, this is a meritocracy. Like we just, we choose the best performer, right? And then they started doing blind auditions where the performer was behind a curtain. Guess, get what, guess what percentage of their lead performers are female now? Beth, you take a guess here. <laughs> All of them? 70%. Wow. 70%. Wow. It's, it's a huge problem um, where you get people who are somewhere along the spectrum who don't emote the same way. People who just act differently, right? And... We assume that they're thinking something that they're not, but we judge them on that. And so what you can do when you actively listen to people is you get to know them, but you can't, you can't assume you know anything about them from the first couple words or couple things they say. You look at patterns and everybody has their own kind of patterns and you start to analyze those patterns. And that's one of the beautiful things about working with the same person for a long time is uh, you you start to realize just how beautiful variation in humans is, don't you? Mm -hmm. Totally. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Very cool. So a while back, you were talking about being being really good at writing. And that's definitely your your expertise there. And I know you made some content about like sticking with what you're good at, right? Like, for instance, you don't really make reels or TikToks or anything like that, at least not in like video form. You don't do short form video content, right? So yeah, <laughs> you're pointing and things like that. So you definitely you don't you double down on what you were good at. And, and you didn't try to be good at something you weren't. But I'm assuming you didn't just start that way, right? Did you try lots of different avenues and, you know, different forms of your content and and written word? I didn't, but it's not necessarily how I would recommend people do it now. It's because I've been doing this for a long time before. Like, I mean, I started making YouTube videos in like 2010. Ah, okay. I had a little shitty like digital camera in the gym, make like filming myself. This is how it was done before. It wasn't a multimedia studio on our phones. Yep. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I can tell you why I started to write. I love it now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this isn't why I started to write, but this is why I doubled down on writing and why I built my platform based off of writing. And it was 2014. So, 2014, my girlfriend at the time, well, no, we weren't even together, but now my wife. <laughs> it's the end of the story. But, she she finished medical school and she left to go on her one big trip before she became a doctor. And she went to Southeast Asia, the most generic, like obvious thing ever, right? So she went to Southeast Asia and my mom gave me the best piece of advice that anybody has ever given me, which is you better get your ass on a plane or you're going to leave her. You're going to lose her. And I booked a flight the next day and was in Thailand two days after that. And there was already some guy who was clinging onto a jerk. Well, you got her. <laughs> I won. And he was taller than me too. Sure. Uh, but we had this wonderful experience there. That was the second winter that I'd been away. So now I've been away for 11 straight winters kind of exploring the world. But that was the second winter that I'd been away. And we ended up, she ended up working as a healer in this place called The Sanctuary, which is on part of the island of Copenhagen in Thailand. Basically, you get on a boat. And you go around the bend to this place called Had Yuan. It's only accessible by boat, like middle of nowhere, right? It's this healing sanctuary place. She ended up working as a healer there, and we lived in a cave, a literal cave. Wow. It was an old, it was a single old gym mat that we slept on that we shared. It was sweltering heat, frogs, bats, cats, everything would like run in overnight. I got bitten by a centipede one night. They bite? They like will send you to the hospital. Holy shit. Wow. That's nasty. We both caught a fungus in that cave that took years to eliminate. Really? That's where we fell in love. It was beautiful. You just had the two of you at that point. Like you didn't have all the gadgets and distractions. But I had already, I was already building up the online business. I had already built a fair bit of traction. And yet here I was in a cave in a remote area of Thailand with the love of my life with internet that could barely load a web page, let alone video or audio or anything like that. This was 2014. I saw the trend coming. Audio and video were coming up. It was pretty obvious to me at the time that these things were going to be bigger and bigger and bigger, and I could get ahead of the trend. But that was when I decided that the business that I wanted to run for me was going to be a flexible business that allowed me to do things like live in a cave in a remote area of Thailand with the love of my life, sleeping mm-hmm. on a goddamn old gym mat. Mm-hmm. And I decided that I was going to base my platform based off of the written word because it requires less bandwidth. That was so, the decision. So your conditions that you were surrounded by at the time kind of helped you make your choice. Work backwards from the problem. Yeah. Right. You made the most what of kind what you of have. life do I want to live? I want to be able to keep doing this type of thing. 
I don't, I, I have friends that I travel with that I've gone on trips with. They have a separate bag for their camera equipment. Everything that they do, they have to just feel like they need to film it. And they're like gliding their camera by it to be able to get B-wheel for their film for their day. And they're like, fuck that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you do you. Like, if you're happy, that's great. That is not how I want to live. But then you're not life. present when you're doing that. You're traveling and you're too worried about making content. And I've been there. That's the business I'm building, similar mm-hmm. for, your, for yourself. I want to be able to travel the world and do whatever I want while helping people and having mm-hmm. a business. So I, I definitely get that. But I've I've kind of taken a stance of like, I'm not going to make much content when I'm out traveling. Unless it's like hiking content, I'll shoot a couple of videos really quickly and be on with it, stitch it together later. But yeah, I, I love that. What, do you, what are some of your favorite places you've hiked? Some of my favorite places I've hiked. Oh boy, probably Alaska so far. Oh yeah, um, nice. Alaska and Hawaii are probably my two favorite states I've hiked in so far. I got to hike on in the summer in Alaska. Did you do like snowshoe? It was September, so it wasn't. Okay, you know, it was it was pretty nice out still, and it was like the Anchorage area. So yeah, but Hawaii, Hawaii what? was very cool because there was an active volcano the day that we landed there, okay. so we got to experience that and go hiking all around. And so that was really that? was that big island. That was a big island. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. We lived, I've lived Hawaii twice. I lived in, I lived North Shore Oahu and then we lived North Shore Kauai. So I lived in Maui, East kind of Poly for about three months too. But yeah, the hiking, the hiking North Shore Kauai was mind blowing. Yeah. I bet. The views alone, just once, once you start getting up higher in the elevation, just looking in the, just the Pacific and like the tropical forest, everything is just, it gets a little, worldly. yes, it really is. Can't explain it. Everybody needs to do it. Oh, it's outerworldly. We had some really cool experiences there. So Allison was pregnant with Calvin. And my roommate, when I lived in Maui, was a naturalist on the whale watching ships. So she'd take us out, but she had a lot of friends who were like other naturalists and stuff like that. So when we lived on Kauai, which is where she was from, we went out with her and the guy who worked with Spielberg on Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Basically, the guy who like led Spielberg across the island and like helped him scout locations and stuff. And then Spielberg, as a thank you, gave him his Zodiac. So like his Zodiac boat. So we went out with this guy on Steven Spielberg's Zodiac, went out to the middle of the ocean. And this dude just like saw his buddy in the middle of the ocean, just jumped down with scuba gear with a spear fishing gun, went down, caught a giant uku fish. And then that night on the beach, he just literally like cut it open and we're in the North Shore of Kauai and we're just like eating with a toothpick, like sushi fish. Straight what an experience right there. We just, we just fall asleep under the stars on the sand. That's magical. That's the kind of stuff that I want to be doing. And it's just even today with connectivity worldwide, like that same island, we went back there three years later because I was like, when I have real money, I'm coming back here to ball out, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So we went back there three years later and I mean, fiber optic internet across the whole island, right? And there's like co-working cafes and stuff like that now. But I just, that was what led to the writing back to answer Mm -hmm. your question. I mean, I always liked to write uh, my first book had already come out at that time but that was why i decided to double down on it for sure and now it's at the point where yeah i think you can only really legitimately become great at one or two things and i think it's important to figure out what those things are like i think i could become a pretty good youtuber with a lot of work i think with that same amount of work i could become a world-class writer it's going to take me decades Mm -hmm. like (laughs) Not yet, but I think that I could get there. I don't think that I could get there with video. Got it. So those are the at-bats that I'm going to take. Find your zone of genius and and pursue that. What feels good? Like yeah. what feels natural to you? There might be a best way to achieve something. Like if your goal is to build a business, let's say, right? Even your goal is to get into shape. There might be a best workout. There might be a best way to market. A, the reality of it is, even if you discover the best thing, you won't even know that you discovered it. And then you move on to the next if you're always searching for the best. So even if you do happen upon it, you won't even know that you've happened upon it. Mm-hmm. So you're always going to move on. But let's say that there was a capital B best way to achieve something, your best body, your best business, whatever. There are also a ton of lowercase ge good enough ways to accomplish a more than good enough outcome. And what I think is really important and what I'm trying to champion is like, find your good enough. And your good enough means something that you can reliably execute on consistently for long enough for those actions to compound and begin 
to grow. Don't change. Don't start over. Don't quit. Right? Doesn't have to be the best. Just has to be good enough. And you got to do it for long enough for those actions to begin to be some. Yep. And that definitely applies to the general public, right? I know you, you put this out into your content a lot about mm-hmm. sticking with the basics, right? And like yeah. how Instagram influencers, the health coaches and things like that, they're not actually doing those fancy, sophisticated workouts that they're posting online either, most likely. Uh, they're, they're sticking with those basic five, six movements and doing them repeatedly right. and getting really fucking good at them. There's, there's a difference between information that makes good content and information that makes a good life. And there's also a difference between stuff that's easy to teach and stuff that's really meaningful. And I think, I don't think either is better or worse. I think it's just very important to put those in the right place. Do your hashtags really matter? Does the style of your thumbnail of your video really matter? Fraction of a percentage, maybe? Yeah. It's like, kind of. Like if yeah. you do everything else really well, sure. Right. But it's just easier to teach that shit. That's why you see it more often. Mm-hmm. That's all that there is to it. It's really hard for me to teach. I mean, I put up this post yesterday, like a, like an eight slide post, basically an essay about like finding you're good enough and a process to do it. And I think it's my quote unquote worst performing post ever on Instagram. <laughs> it's just like, you know, engagement, superficial engagement metrics on social media are not useful metrics unless your only goal is to become famous on that social media platform. Mm-hmm. But it's a new phase. Yeah. So you see it. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. So you mentioned that you're working on the new book. So is that the oh, obvious choice for a book proposal that I've been following along with on Facebook? Yes. Or yeah. How is that going? It's going great. Yeah. It's going great. I mean, this has been the most challenging, most creatively rewarding project that I've worked on to date. It's, it's 13 timeless lessons on business. And they're, they're non, call it non-obvious truths. Like one of them, like one of the chapters is literally called easy. And it's about this idea that intelligent people seek out harder problems than necessary. You think about even just like hiring. It's the most ridiculous thing ever about somebody who's a, who's a solopreneur or a small business owner who needs somebody to help them with like 20 hours a week of like customer support. You shouldn't be taking in resumes. You shouldn't be doing interviews. You definitely shouldn't be doing psychological testing or anything else these books say. You don't know how to do any of that shit. (laughs) It's hard. Huge companies aren't even good at it. That's how hard it is. I don't know what to look for in a resume. What a ridiculous concept. You need somebody to answer emails for you about your program. Cool. Find somebody who's already been through your program that's already engaging in your community and mm-hmm. offer them a job. Like it's the same thing with hiring assistant coaches for your business. Like how do you hire assistants? It's the same type of thing. So it's, it's timeless lessons like that, you know, social media and stuff. And it's been interesting. I mean, so a literary agent, like, like this, you know, big shot Manhattan literary agent basically traveled to an event to meet me and I wasn't, I mean, I was kind of looking for an agent. I was kind of not looking for an agent. I've never messaged an agent just in my head was like, you know, maybe. And, and she happened to, I guess, have found me from somewhere and pitched me on it. She's wonderful. She's incredible. And so, yeah, I mean, we've been, we've been working on a proposal for, you know, the book, for aiming the book. And just, I mean, literally today and tomorrow and Friday, we're meeting with editors at most of the big, publishing houses like the like the lead the executive editor people and you seem interested they seem like they like it <laughs> okay good that's great <laughs> we'll see what happens. it's gonna yeah, it's gonna be a long time like it'll probably be a year before it comes out got it that's just what i was gonna ask you if you have yeah. a tentative date the timeline's long right that's the difference mm-hmm. between self-publishing and conventionally publishing self-publishing anything <laughs> whether it's a book or anything else like when the thing's ready you put it out into the world you shouldn't you should market a thing for four to six months minimum, eight to 10 months probably before it comes out. But most people don't, you know, like I've already started the marketing of this book and I'm probably a year and a half out. This will be, this will be at least a 15 month marketing cycle for this one product. Just to give you an idea of like what goes into aside from the writing of the thing, right? Right. This is just the marketing. And, and so it's, it's forced this level of, um, 
preparedness of framing, you know, who is this for? Who is it not for? What fits? What doesn't fit? In a way that I've never had to do before, which is really hard. I mean, the proposal, the book proposal is 80 pages long. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) What, uh, what have you learned about yourself through writing this book and right. through you know look, working with a an agent and a potentially a publisher? Mm-hmm. I've learned that what I've been doing quietly behind the scenes, but also in our industry, has captured a lot more attention than I thought. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of I think I hope more people realize this over time that just put in the work day to day to day in their little corner of the world. There are a lot more people watching than you think, than you'll ever hear from. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. Creatively, what I've learned is let my own geek flag fly. If I think of some funny, dumb shit joke, I'm going to put it in the book because that's what gives it flavor. That's what makes me me. That's mm-hmm. what makes this book stand out. There's a lot of people, there, there's very few, if any, new ideas, right? There's a, there's new ways to frame ideas, but right. really what makes great work is the ability to communicate and frame and position and educate and entertain around concepts and ideas in a new way that makes it more enjoyable to consume, but also more easy to use. And one of the ways to do that is just to say, okay, well, what's my unique angle here? Right? How can I talk about this in some fun way? There's a line where um, I talk about outliers a lot. And I talk about the problem with outliers. And I talk about survivorship bias. This idea that we hear about all of these against all odds, unicorn success stories all the time, all the business books, you hear people talking on stage about this guy who, I don't know, for the first six years had a podcast with zero listeners. And then year seven had a million listeners. And what an amazing story of overcoming adversity and whatever. It's like, yeah, cool. I mean, amazing, inspirational. But also, this dude worked for free for six years. And it worked out, which is why we're hearing from him and hearing about him. But it also might not have worked out. And we don't hear about all of the times that people did the exact same thing as him, which was objectively a stupid thing to do. And it failed. You only hear about the success. And and that's the reality of success stories, isn't it? Where somebody could make a really bad decision that's going to fail 95% of the time, but 5% of the time it's going to work. And the best stories come in cases where we don't expect something to work. Makes for a great story, makes for a really bad case study. Mm -hmm. And so I talk about this idea of survivorship bias of just how to know what, again, it's not good or bad. What's really going on here? And what do I take from this? Right? Is this just inspiration? Great. Take what you need and, and leave the rest. Yeah. Take what you need and leave the rest. And then, okay, so like, what do I do with this information? Right? How do I find out what paths, what actions to take? kind of based off of it. And so it's been it's been cool with the book that the editors are really interested in this idea. There seems to be almost a recalibration in the business world that I hope to be at the forefront of, which is let's get away from trying to win the internet. You know, like there's nothing wrong with it, but let's call influencers what they are. They're entertainers. And there's nothing wrong with being an entertainer, a creator, an influencer, an entertainer. It's they're all the same thing, right? Let's call them what they are. There's nothing wrong with them. But if you think about historically the entertainment industry, the 1920s, Hollywood started to open up. People would fly to Hollywood. They try to make a go in the entertainment world, right? They knew the rules of engagement. They knew the odds of success were low. They knew the time horizon was long. They knew that they probably have to work for free for a very long time in the hopes of being one of the rarefied few who makes it big. And some do, but most don't. Right? That's 
the rules of engagement in Hollywood. Those rules haven't changed. That's the entertainment industry. If you're trying to win the internet, that's the game you're playing. There's nothing wrong with that. The only difference is the rules of engagement are not clear anymore. A lot of people are playing that game while trying to just get a few more clients, man. And it's like, yo, you're conflating these two things. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a massive recalibration. People have become so frustrated, so disenchanted with tremendous amounts of work and efforts, which objectively are not bad efforts. Somebody this morning asked me, hey, can you look at my Instagram account? You know, tell me where I can improve. Your Instagram account is fine, dude. That ain't your problem. That's not why you have one client. Nothing I can tell you about how to better make content is going to get you your second to 10th client quickly. Go talk to humans. Yeah. Get them on the phone, ask them some questions, learn Mm -hmm. about them. Exactly. About the permission marketing concept. Yes. I love that. Permission-based marketing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Jonathan, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks for following up with me as well. I appreciate it. Where uh, where can people find you? What's the best place on the interwebs for people to find you? If you if you like listening to podcasts, my podcast is called The Obvious Choice. So definitely check that out. Subscribe. We'd love to have you there. And then Instagram is the best. I'm at It's Coach Goodman on Instagram. You got it. Awesome. awesome Thank, you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Beth. It's Thank awesome. you, Talk to you guys. Bye. Bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode. So why not share it with a friend who needs to hear it? Send us a DM on Instagram or email us at cutthecrappod at gmail.com and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cutthecrappodcast. As always, we appreciate you and thanks for being here.